that, just can't sleep. I, I just got to where I told Joyce, like, I, I'd, I'd had a lot of that here lately where the Lord, I think, has just gotten me up early. It's like, it's time to go, like, time to work. And I'm, and I'm like, God, no, no, it's not. It's not time to work. It's not time to go. 3.50 is not a healthy time to get up, God. God, don't you know that it's Friday and I work till 9 p.m. tonight? I don't get home till 9.30. Like, I'm expected to go in and be there all day. And it's not like I work a hard labor job, but still, when you're up at 3.50 and you know you're going to have to work till 9 and about 10 o'clock when that tired hits you from being up at 3.50. You're like, thanks, God. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. But uh, And then the next morning I get up early because on Saturdays, this is when I actually write. Saturdays are when I write uh, for Sundays. And the reason I don't do it on my days off, like I get off Sunday, really, like this afternoon I'm off and Monday and Tuesday I'm off. And I could even be off on Wednesday if I needed to be. And the reason I'd, I've got, I used to write during those days off. Like I, I know some pastors, that's what they do. They'll, Monday, Tuesday, they're going to write. I'm like, how do you not talk about what you're going to write about all week? Because I have to go in on Wednesday and talk. And if I go on Wednesday and talk, what's going to happen is the Sunday message I prepare on Monday and Tuesday is going to come out on Wednesday. And so if I don't like spread that out and work that out, uh, it doesn't work for me. So I get up early on Saturday morning and... Uh, and do a lot of writing then, and, and God's been doing some just cool things in my heart. I think this year has been a, a some breakthrough years for me on some things, things that I feel like, uh, I'm not saying that I felt like I arrived, but you feel like you've been doing Christianity long enough where you're like, I kind of feel like I got this, and then like this year, God's like, yeah, you still got, you're still like a rookie, all right? You're just a more confident rookie is all. I'm like, okay, God. All right, 20, about 15 years I've been saved now, and I'm still, I'm just, I've moved from rookie to confident rookie, right? So I'm at level two. 15 years in, I'm at level two. So bear with me this morning if you're at level three or four. I'm, I, I will arrive there eventually. I'm not sure where the top is, so we'll just take it as we can. Level two is fine. So this morning we're going to pick up where we left off in Mark chapter four. You can turn there now. We're going to be, begin around verse 26. And I'll eventually work my way back to verse 21, because that's really where we left off. And uh, uh, Jesus had originally been teaching publicly and moved away privately to teach in more depth uh, to his disciples. Now, something I want you to notice about the idea or the concept of discipleship, especially as we talk about Jesus moving away privately and discussing these things, uh, it, the thing about the, or his concept of discipleship is that it was always up close and it was always personal. Biblically, the discipleship model that we see in Christ is the model for discipleship. Yes, it is to personally mentor and instruct an individual in the ways of the kingdom. Hands down, yes, that is to happen. But it's more than that. It's more than just being a Sunday school teacher. It's more than just being a, a, a preacher who gets up here and displays the Word of God or gives you the Word of God for the morning. Discipleship is more than that. Uh, it's the giving of our time. It's personal. It's intimate. Is it any wonder that when Jesus laid down his life for these men that they would take up his cause and ultimately give their life for his cause? I mean, think about all these private moments he spends with them. See, I believe the fire that burned into the bones of the disciples, it's not kindled by the flames of doctrine. It's not kindled by the flames of parables that he told. It's set ablaze by friendship <clears throat> and by brotherhood. You see, he slept where they slept. He ate what they ate. He went everywhere with them. Now, as somebody comes maybe from the military, this, this appeals to me. This is where I see it as. 
because I know many men who don't want to go to war, who don't want to go to battle, who don't want to go to those things, but if they think their brother's in harm's way, they will go. They're not going to go for words, though, because he's an eloquent speaker. They're not going to go because he can talk really great. They're not even going to go because he can work miracles. But because you're his friend, they'll go. I can't help but wonder if the reason our Christianity is weak and shallow is because we're trying to remove the intimacy in the efforts of mass production. Our concern has become less about the depth of a person and just more about how many we can teach, thus the reason for a teaching environment. While I promise you that I weep over those who never hear the gospel or um, just never live a life in response to the love of Christ, can we really cut the process short? I mean, I just can't. I know for me, I can't. I mean, what good is numerical growth without depth? I've heard some people say it like this. Um, well, this ministry is a mile wide and an inch deep, and that's just what he does. Let me tell you about the mile wide and inch deep ministry. When the wind and rain comes, how do you think it will fare? If you plant a seed only an inch off the topsoil and a good rain like some of the rains we get around here. By the way, when it rains around here, how much rain do we get? Like 10 inches? Five inches. We never get like, oh, it was a good soaker. What the heck is a soaker around here? Soakers happen everywhere else but here, right? I don't know where that thing, it doesn't happen here. I've never seen a soaker rain here. I've seen like rain that comes down and like, oh, what'd you get? Well, we got four inches. Whoo, thank God. That's all we got. That's kind of how it is around here. But come on, what happens when the wind and rain comes and you got an inch deep seed? It ain't going to be an inch deep anymore. It's going to be on the top of the surface. This is why Jesus is spending so much time with these men. Because the wind and rain is coming. And even worse, so is the devil. A shallow discipleship at this moment will kill any hope of the future of the church. Jesus doesn't have time to worry about how many can hear him. Because he knows that if, he, if those to whom he's placed around him actually can get a glimpse of what he's talking about, then they'll do like he did. And as he declared that, that he only didn't said what the Father didn't said, then they will do likewise, only doing what Jesus did and said. And in their abiding in Christ, they'll be able to pass on the spirit of abiding in Christ. And this is the whole idea of a discipleship. We do what Jesus does. That's what we live to do. As a Christian, this is our only goal, our only thing that we should model after. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? How can I do what Jesus does, and how can I say what Jesus says? It's all about abiding in Christ. He passed on to them how to abide in the Father, and what they learned was how to abide in Christ, who learned how to abide in the Father. And what do we learn today? We need to be abiding in Christ. So this morning, let us abide in Christ as we tackle this chapter. Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. Jesus also said the kingdom of God is, a, is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces crops on its own. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come. So Jesus at first here leaves no doubt into the subject of everything he's going to talk about, the kingdom of God. Kingdom principles are important things because they're eternal things. They are attributes and principles that existed before us, and they will exist after we die, thus their importance. It's so important, in fact, 
that by the time you get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus has now been resurrected. It will go on to say that he will spend his resurrected time on earth teaching, and I quote the Bible, kingdom principles. Can I tell you, if you get a second chance to come back from death, you start to think about all the regrets you might have. What would you do differently knowing if you were going, if you were going to get a second opportunity on life? You're scheduled for death, but now all of a sudden this has been reversed and you're going to get your whole life back. You've got a second chance at something. A lot of us would change the way we do life. Can I tell you that when Jesus came back, he didn't change anything? How profound is that? That's like saying, no, I lived right the first time. How profound is that? That's how important these things are. So he says that the kingdom is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Now, in the previous parable, it was established that we are the farmer. And it was our responsibility to scatter the seed. That's pretty simple. We throw it out everywhere. It's not hard. Some places are going to be easier than others, but there are so many factors that determine growth. From the devil, to stress, from anxiety, to greediness, and from the worries of the world, to materialism. There's so many things. Still, our job is to scatter the seed and stay active and constantly uh, scattering. There can be no growth where there is no seed. Let that sink in real quick. If you're writing notes, that's a note writer right there. There can be no growth if there is no seed. This past Wednesday, we participated in the Fields of Faith event. And those of you that came, your support and help with the setup and teardown of our equipment, man, you did an excellent job. Those that just even came to attend, praise God for your attendance. The event was well. The worship was good. And I'm so proud of my wife and Emily and Megan and all those that were involved. Our sound guy, you know, everything was great. Uh, I, I've come to greatly appreciate, too, as when I'm playing music with Megan, Emily, and my wife. I've just come to appreciate them. I was, I, I was even reminded through Facebook this week that I've been playing music with Megan now uh, for about uh, roughly about five or six years now. From my time as her youth pastor, really, all the way till now, which I've known her since she's about 13. Um, a photo popped up of us playing uh, in Fields of Faith roughly about five years ago. Uh, it was funny uh, because she, she's got this like beanie on. She's like super skinny as a rail, you know, little bell-bottom type looking pants, you know, her little converse on, you know. She's a little teenager. And um, man, there is she's you know she's just still in high school there's no thought of who she's going to marry right much less get married to by the way I've known her long enough to see boyfriends not her husband by the way that are not her husband um and, and she has no thought definitely of having the two kids that she has right now at that age uh so I think about that while I'm watching Emily grow right now who, who's so young, and, and yet she's talented, she has gifts, and she's growing up. Uh, there's going to be a day where I watch her life unfold, and I'm excited to see her future, just like I'm excited to see my own kid's future. And what a, I can't help but think, but what a privilege it is to invest in the next generation. For Emily, I'm still a teacher and a mentor, but for Megan, I've become a cheerleader, and I'm rawing her life on. Good job, Megan. Way to go. Oh, it's a hard day? That's okay. You're going to be fine. Things are going to be great. 
right? But with Emily right now, it's, all right, these are things that leaders do. These are things, it's different, you know, take instruction right now. It's funny how things change over time and as they get older. It all is a process, right? Listen, this works because their parents at one time sowed a seed of the gospel into them, and they watered it over time, and they tended the soil. They protected it, right? But listen, there can be no growth where there is no seed. You know what was missing from fields of faith? Will you throw up the picture? This is from my point of view where I was looking. Students were... Hundreds, try thousands. There's over 2,200 students. There's roughly a little over, maybe, maybe right at 200. I, I don't think there's 200, but there might be. And think about the contrast there of how many 2,200 students in the Marble Falls School District. 2,200 students. That means that there's roughly somewhere between 1,800 and 2,000 students missing from this photo. And they're not involved in some sort of discipleship. We're reaching about 10% of our students right now in our schools. Now do you see why Kyle Embry is looked at like a missionary? If the parable of the farmer scattering the seed is true, like we learned a couple of weeks ago, we should at least expect a 25% at minimum harvest rate. Remember what he said? There were four places to throw it. Only one of those with good soil where hundreds and thirties or hundreds and sixties and uh, 30, sixties, hundreds would fold, would, would multiply, would take place. We're seeing about 10% of our students right now in, in, in church. We should at least expect 25 according to that parable. We're not even seeing that. And the thing is, is what I'm scared of more than anything is that if we're satisfied with that, I couldn't be. The event went great, but this thing troubled me. From my vantage point, all I could see, or at least all my eyes could see, were how many were missing. And I went home that night and I wept myself. I just wept and wept until I had a headache and just went to sleep. And for the next few days, I could barely talk about it with joy without crying. I've taught many of you the purpose of God in asking Jeremiah, what do you see? Because God gives visions to those whom he's tasked with the mission. Jeremiah was only responsible for what he could see, and so am I. Last Wednesday, I saw a whole generation missing out of the good news of Jesus Christ. They were missing. They were missing because they're poor. They don't fit into the churches. It's hard to reach that. It's a different mentality. It's a different way of growing up. They were missing because they're trouble. I counseled a student all, all, all year. I talked about her many times in here. You know where she's at now? She's in Kansas at a, at a rehabilitation place. She's having to figure out her attitude, and she's having to come off drugs. She's in eighth grade, guys. Eighth grade. Rehabilitation for drugs. <clears throat> they're missing uh, uh, because they're into drugs and alcohol. There's nothing else to do. In, I mean, this, it was that way when I was a kid, too, by the way. It's funny how some generational things just don't change. They're missing because they're lost in, in, in lust and pornography. I can tell you as talking with a, a seventh and eighth grade uh, girl and counseling with her and her mother as I have to listen to her tell stories of uh, uh, sexually active with men who are 18 to 27 range, a 13-year-old. 
because she looks, when she puts her makeup on, thanks to all the YouTube tutorials, she looks like she's like uh, 18, 19, and 20. And she does look more mature for age. I will give her that, but I mean, come on. And the fact that there's guys around here that don't care, they know. They're sending nude photos out. I mean, last year we talked, I've talked about this in before, that, you know, there was an Instagram account that launched because all the guys were trading back and forth, all the little middle school girls' naked pictures. And they launched an Instagram account and chunked it out there publicly for a while until the cops caught wind of it and they quickly shut that thing down. This is happens in Wall Falls. This is not, I'm not talking about Dallas. I'm not talking about Houston. I'm not talking about Austin. They're missing, some are missing just because they're Hispanic. That's a whole culture we're not even reaching. I know we're predominantly a white place around here, but we're also the second biggest population here is an Hispanic population. And they're missing just simply because of a culture. Just simply because of culture. And and there's tons of more reasons. And I I want you to know that our leadership team here, we're already praying on what our response to this is going to be because there will be a response. We will not sit idle by and watch a generation go missing in the ranks. We will scatter seed. We don't get to choose where the seed goes, but we can choose to scatter the seed. However, we must do far more than just scatter seed. We must tend the ground. We have to water the ground. And we've got to wipe out the pests that desire to kill the plants while they grow. It's not for us to understand how the growth is supposed to take place. No, that's God's part, right? Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Oh, it grows. My job is not to understand how that works. Matter of fact, it says that I'm not going to know. I'm going to go about my daily routine while this thing is just happening. It will be a process. We'll see different parts, and and even at different times. It says first the leaf blade pushes through, then the head of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. Discipleship, it has its moments, and there are times when it's exciting and new, and then there are times when it's just hard, and it's struggling, and it's crying because they're not going to listen to us, right? Welcome to teenagers. They're hard-headed. Our job is not to judge the process but to help it along until it is ripe for harvest. We may not even get to harvest all the seed we scatter. Who cares as long as it's harvest? Nothing begins like we think it will either. Often great things have small beginnings. Let's keep pushing on. Mark 4, verses 30 through 34. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. And Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Again, Jesus leads with kingdom principles. He says the kingdom is like the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. You want to throw the seed? That's it right there. (laughs) It starts out really small, but over time it grows so big that it ultimately ends up housing other things and becoming a covering for other things. It grows from something so tiny and seemingly insignificant and indifferent 
and then into something of grand importance. Jesus likens the growth to a mustard seed. It planted, and given time to grow, it will bushel out and create thousands of more mustard seeds. According to last week, 30, 60, and 100 fold. You can show that one too. Looking at the mustard seed, we, we don't get that fuzzy feeling that something awesome and inspiring is happening. We, we, we started out that little tiny thing in our hand, and they're like, this is our ministry, this little tiny thing right here. I don't, this thing is like ridiculous, God. What did you just hand me? What is this? Like, I, I think it, I, I'm not sure if it's a seed or something gross. Come on. I have this tiny little thing in my hand. What is that thing? It's a little mustard seed thing, and then it's going to do what? It's going to grow out and produce what? This little thing right here. Yeah. I mean, when we look at it, we don't get this fuzzy feeling that something awesome or inspiring is going to happen. It's tiny. Can I tell you the American dream has issues with this? Can I tell you that we as Texans have issues with this? I'm pretty sure uh, that we struggle here because of just the way we're raised. Because everything is bigger here. It's Texas. We believe in bigger. Man, come on, from our grocery stores to our restaurants, to our entertainment, to our houses, and to just about everything we do. It's been ingrained into us as Americans that bigger is better, and yet contrasted against this idea uh, is the kingdom of God. Jesus said tiny things have huge impacts. Small things have huge impacts. Jesus loves underdogs. Kingdom often... Starts, kingdom things often start small, but as it grows, it finds even more purpose. The purpose of the mustard seed tree is to grow more mustard seeds. Pretty simple, right? But it also ends up being a shade and shelter for birds and other creatures. It's funny how that works, right? I mean, you have one purpose. Your purpose is to produce multiple seeds, but yet your multiple seeds end up giving life and shelter and purpose for other things. This is the kingdom of God. This is also discipleship. This is how it works. Jesus always taught with parables, and if at times it seemed confusing, I mean, he always made time to explain to them more in depth. He said, here, come here. Let's get all by ourselves here real quick. Let's get into this intimate moment where we're sitting around the campfire. Guys, let me tell you what this means. Yeah, I spoke in parables to the crowd, but to you, you mine who are my disciples, let me talk to you for a second. Let me explain this. Let me share with you. Right? This is when we go back to verse 21. If you're in your Bibles, verse 21. Then Jesus asked him, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought into the light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Listen, God's not going to hide things from you. Not even in parables. We can always go to him privately and ask a question. You might need to be willing to search out the answer, but God will not withhold from you kingdom principles and kingdom truths. He just won't do it. After all, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? These things are life. These things are life-giving. 
The Bible says, of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. He's not going to hide the truth. He's not going to hide the light from you. God has no intention of keeping things covered up. Listen, and if you're his disciple, that goes for you too. It goes for you too. The hardest thing I've had to do in my life is live in the light. I'm not sure that I fully do it yet. There are still many insecurities that I have, and that though I talk about them publicly, I do, uh, I still work entirely too hard in my own strength to either hide them or get rid of them with my own strength. The uncomfortable part of discipleship through this scripture reminds me that God will not let me hide these things forever. They must be exposed to the light. They must eventually come out in confession so I can be free of them. <laughs> Let me clarify that this isn't about calling out liars or fake people. This is about setting people free. Those that are hiding things are brought to the light to be exposed, not so that they can be ridiculed, but so that they can receive forgiveness. Even our enemies. This is why we don't have to worry about when we are being slighted or mistreated. God will eventually handle the situation. And even then, it's not for me to gloat, but for me to be Christ in that moment and forgive and be reconciled. Jesus adds on, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you'll receive even more. To those who are listening to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So do you want more? I mean, if you want more, just keep listening to Jesus. The closer you listen is like saying the more you dig. If you keep digging, eventually the hole gets deeper. With deeper knowledge comes deeper understanding. But understand that with deeper knowledge comes greater responsibility. You ever wonder why people who, uh, like to me, I see people who've been in the church 20 years got about one year knowledge. That's why God doesn't use them. That's why the only ministry they'll ever have is sitting in the chair. They don't win a lot of people to Christ. They don't win a lot of people because they don't, they're not deep. They don't have the ability. What are they going to tell them? Deeper knowledge brings deeper understanding. Deeper understanding brings greater responsibility. Those who've learned how to feed themselves, ultimately, you now exist to feed others in the kingdom of God. That's how it works, right? When you become an adult and you start taking care of yourself, right, what happens? We have kids. What do we have to teach them to do? Pick up the fork. Pick up the spoon. You're going to have to start feeding yourself. You're going to have to start doing stuff because you don't want to do that forever. you got to teach them to take care of themselves, same thing. When you're able to take care of yourself as a Christian, you're able to take, you've, you've not to say you figured your walk out, but you've, you're, you're enough in that you're so far deep in that you don't have to worry about coming out. That's when it's your turn to start rescuing others. To gather all this information and do nothing with it would be a travesty. The seed grows, listen, the seed grows to grow more seed. And so do you. If you don't produce more seed as you should be, then why would God need to keep opening your eyes and deepening your walk? You are to be a conduit of the kingdom to others. And we do that when we share the good news and disciple people and help them grow. And how do we do it? By scattering the seed. This is our responsibility. It's not the world's. It's not anybody else's. We who are in the know are supposed to tell others that don't know. I mean, look around our church body, just even right here. God has given all of us all we need to do the work that God has called us to do. 
You are a discipled body of believers who meet weekly to pray, to share a meal, right? To study God's word. We do that here, to partake in communion and even some of the other ordinances, right? Just as it's written in Acts 2.42, where it says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We've been given a place to which to meet. That is entirely paid for by a woman who doesn't even attend our church as it is written. In Psalms 145, 8 through 9, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry and filled with an unfailing love. It says that the Lord is good to everyone and he shows compassion on all his creation. And this has allowed us to save money as well as use that very money to fund projects that help those struggling with drugs like we do now, like the Joshua House, like Open Door, right? Those that are struggling with alcohol and other things. But we can also help out individual families both in and out of the church. We can honestly say here at Mosaic that we are a church that takes care of people. As it's written in Psalm 72, 13 through 14, he feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. God makes a way not because he needs another building or another church organization that will call itself a church. God makes a way because he loves us. God made a way for you and I to hear the gospel and even pressed our hearts to responding to that grace in a way that would change our lives forever. As it is written in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So now the responsibility falls on us to share the good news. The responsibility now is for us to see ourselves as the farmer. It's for us to see ourselves scattering the seed. We've got to throw it everywhere because there are too many people missing. Listen, if, there's two, if, if there is 1,800 to 2,000 students that are missing, where are their parents and we're missing out on them too. And if there, there has to be two parents to make a child, we haven't reached that place. That doubles the amount of adults out there that might be lost. The responsibility now falls on us to share the good news. As it's written in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands I've given you. Lastly, Jesus closes with this proclamation. He says this, and be sure of this. I love this because this is how I would say it, right? Be sure of this. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. I'm not sure let me just be honest. I'm not sure what we can do to help these students. I don't know. But I do know what we're called to do. I'm not sure what our success rate will be, but I do know that we must go. I'm not sure what that means for you, but I do know that you've been called into this work. For if you have found yourself living in the Marble Falls or the surrounding areas at such a time as this, for such a time as now. 
There is only one thing that I, in any kind of confidence, can say to you this morning, and that is the words of Christ himself, that you can be sure of this. I am with you always. There's no easy answers to things. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just create something, in, which, by the way, is what the church default is. We'll just create something, and this one thing is going to be our fix. There is only one fix, and that's Jesus Christ. How that process happens, I have no idea. What I do know is this. Our responsibility is to scatter seed. How do we do that? I don't know. I know, I know one way that, that has been effective no matter what, regardless of technology, word of mouth. Believe it or not, as good as we are at Facebook, Instagram, and every other social media and website and everything the World Wide Web has done and all our marketing and advertising means, we still win a lot of people to Jesus by just telling them person to person. Matter of fact, I still think more people are one today by the mouth, by the tongue. And discipleship happens not here. There's this, yes, I'm teaching you the word of God, but this is not discipleship. Discipleship is when we pull to the side and we're meeting on a different basis. When I come into your home and we're talking, when we're being friends and family. On Wednesday night, there's more discipleship happening on Wednesday night than there is Sunday morning. Sunday morning, man, I appreciate you coming and listening to this gift that God has given me because I can't take credit for any of it. I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and this stuff pours out of me. I can't take credit for that. It's a, it's a gift that, that's been given to me. Great, awesome. What's it going to do to change the world? Because what's worse, what, that I revel in this gift and I still am so frustrated because I'm not changing any more lives? Which, by the way, that's how I basically live. Constantly frustrated. Why isn't one more person coming? God, there's one. You know, Lord, send somebody that needs the gospel, God, that I'll sit with and I'll walk through life with. God, send me, send me somebody that'll just stand. That I can bring them, you know. This, this young girl building that relationship there with this counseling bill. Like she, she never came here to our church. They sought me out. You know why they sought me out? Because they heard that I'll care for kids like that. That's why they sought me out. They don't go to church. They've never gone to church with me, ever. They sought me out because they heard I care about kids who are on drugs, kids who, are on, uh, who drink, or kids who are hanging out or trouble. They know that, that, that I care about that. And so that's what they came to. They came to the one person they could count on with teenagers that when they struggle. And God has given me a gift there. Praise the Lord. But there is a bunch more that need our help. Here's what we're going to pray for. I'm going to have join them come back up for worship. Here's what we're going to pray for. Because it's been in my heart all week. I, I'm praying. I pray that God gives us answers. Pray that God gives answers. Because here's the thing is, no matter what we do, there's no quick solution that just all of a sudden gets the gospel to 2,000. Say if I bring, if I bring a, 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 an evangelist in and we preach to all of them, what, we're just going to walk away happy with the fact that, hey, you heard the gospel, not my problem, you didn't come. No. No. We've tried that. Been there, done that. Been there, done it twice. Whatever we do next, it'll be different. Because it has to be. Whatever we do. And by the way, there is no solid plan. All right? Let me just state that up front. What I can tell you is this. I've been talking with a handful of guys. And we're praying about it. And we're waiting for God to answer. And we're, we're specifically going at God going, Lord, there's a generation that's missing. I may not be able to change adults. But in the next 10 years, I could change, I could change some lives there. Think about this. This is how I had to think of it. When I was young and in youth ministry and uh, was mentoring underneath a youth pastor, my kids were little bitty. 
they were in there, right? I mean, they were in children's church. They were doing a little bitty stuff, right? And all I could think, I would look out to these teenagers who were 15, 16, and I was going, by the way, it's pretty terrifying and terrible compared to here. Like, pretty, like here, they got some problems, don't get me wrong, and there's some stuff that happens back here in the backwoods that's kind of scary. But in Terrell, in the urban cities, it can be pretty terrifying, really dark. I mean, I, I thought I'd come to the promised land as soon as they didn't search me coming out of Walmart. So... Let me just tell you that I lived at a place where every time you went to Walmart, you got searched. That's just how it was. Coming here was like, man, this the this must be the most honest place there is, right? Yeah, you laugh. Yeah, I had to learn that one. I had to learn that one. So, so there, here's what I looked at those kids, and I'm watching this rough group. I mean, where we had to kick kids out almost on a weekly basis, biting, whatever, cussing, the whole thing. And I was, I would tell Joy, these are our these are our kids' youth pastors. One day, this generation is going to lead my kids. And the, the irony, I know kids that I helped in that group that are youth pastors today. They are investing in the next generation through the investment that we put into them. And these kids in here, this group that's missing, put the picture back up. It, it, listen, let's just, all students, all students, these and every one of them that's missing, all of them, that's the generation that's going to raise up them. Why is this important to me? Because that's what I see. And you know, when I tell you about Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? And he'd say this, and God said, okay, that's right, Jeremiah, and this is why, so you can deal with this, Jeremiah. He would basically say, you're responsible for the things that I've shown you, Jeremiah. Well, I'm going to tell you what I see. What I see is a generation that's missing. And when that generation's missing, guys like me, by the way, look at, uh, I'm going to point fingers, but Daryl Fishbeck, look at the Methodist pastor, look at Jason Cullison, these guys that are almost touching their 40s and still in youth ministry. You know why? Because the whole generation was missed. So you're going to have 40 and 50-year-old youth pastors. You know why? There's a couple reasons. One, because the generation's missed. Two, because these kids don't have dads. And God has supplanted some men that can be fathers to the fatherless. I know that I was looked at like that more than I ever was looked at like a young man. You know how weird it is to be like 38 and invited to a 14-year-old Call of Duty party? Yeah, awkward, okay? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, they looked at me like, like they would look at me like that and do that. Like, it was awesome. It was also highly, like 38, I'm like, my wife is making fun of me. Like, you're the old man. <laughs> and, you know, and yes, they did t gang up on me and tag team and beat me down and then make fun of me and talk trash to me the whole time. Yeah. And I kept getting invited to birthday parties. And I got to invest in those kids. I got to see kids like Megan go through boyfriends, go through hard times as a teenager, not understanding, have her little rebellious moments too, to grow up, to go to church, She's a win. But there's a lot, man, that, that are still struggling out there. Our hope is that they come back around. One thing I can tell you, that the word of God was put in them. There's no doubt that the seed's there. What I can't answer for is the ones who don't have the seed yet. I just know my responsibility. I'm responsible for what I see. I don't know what to do. I just know I must do something. Will you pray that God will give us the vision to know what to do? And then the faith to walk through it. And even favor, if anything else is needed, it might take partners. It might not. 
We don't know because we don't know what to do. We just know we have to do something. Amen? Because the seed must be scattered. There's one thing. I don't have a choice. I am the farmer. I am supposed to scatter seed. I don't get to choose where it goes. I throw it everywhere. Everywhere. And we have an opportunity here. God has revealed something that needs to be handled. God revealed to us two years ago that we needed to help veterans. Help came out of the woodwork to help make that happen. It's still going to come. I still believe that's going to be a big and, and, and better thing, that it, it's eventually going to run its own thing, and we're going to one day hand that thing off to somebody else. So what? You know why? Not so we can get rid of it, and it's one less thing we do, so we can tackle something new. So we can tackle something new. <clears throat> Amen? Let's, let's worship this morning. Father, thank you for your eyes. Father, I know that when we seek after you, that you will show us our part to play. You will give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you will explain to us what you want us to do. Lord, we know that you are the God who loves. You are the God who heals every broken heart. brokenhearted. You are the 